Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello, welcome to the Roarcast. Yes, we are back and with a new name, which is exciting, isn't Yay. it? In Focus, where we take a topic that Beth has looked at on the channel and we have a more in-depth discussion about it. So today, we are going to look at the extremely provocative subject of lip-syncing. Yes, and we had some interesting comments about this. People have very strong opinions. Very strong opinions, often in the direction of never, ever lip sync. It should never, ever happen. And I kind of get that. I kind of get the, I personally prefer seeing an authentic live performance myself. But there are people who want that perfect performance as well. And I think that if you are asking for authenticity, then you also need to be aware that you might go to a performance and your favorite performer might not sound as good as they did on the CD that you bought. People don't buy CDs these days. On the Spotify <laughs> stream that you streamed. <laughs> yeah, I think that word is, is really, really important in this debate, though. Authenticity. How we look at our artists and what we decide is authentic and, and is something authentic if they can produce a vocal but perhaps they can't do it again and again and again over a duration of, say, a tour, but that is their voice on the record versus they have to do it every single night. Mm. I mean, it's really hard to do something every single night. It is. That is one of the things we'll talk about. We'll also talk about lip syncing at big events um, and we will talk about general personal expectations. I definitely want to touch on Millie Vanilli. because oh, that you've was... got some stories. <laughs> I have been looking at, at the story of Millie Vanilli because I wasn't particularly aware of it. It is something that came up in the video and we didn't have too much time to delve into. So I had a, a more in-depth look at their story and that's something that I am really excited to get into. Mm. So let's get into it. Um, the first thing that I really want to touch on is the aspect of kind of recovery time and touring and whether an artist has to produce every single vocal every single night and actually what that experience is like for an artist touring and what those schedules are like i don't think people understand how hard touring is uh, and both of us have toured in a kind of more theater sense that is tough you're doing you know eight shows a week sometimes more than that um i know that you've toured with more shows than that but in the music industry especially younger artists i think they get pushed by um the money making corporation whatever mm. that may be and then a lot of people's jobs are on the line because of this one particular artist. And then they get pushed and pushed and pushed so that they can keep on making that money and employ all those people. And it's a lot, a lot of pressure. 
But that means like recording sessions in the middle of the night. That means early morning interviews or maybe morning TV. That means being on tour. All at the same time, doing evening shows, going from town to town on probably a badly air-conditioned bus, which isn't very good for your voice. Not sleeping well. And, I mean, you touched on, on young artists there. And I think a lot of people, artists generally, when they're getting into an industry, are extremely eager to showcase their talent and and to learn and develop it in as many places as possible as much as possible and sometimes that comes with a a certain level of naivety and if you haven't done something before you don't know how your body and your voice is going to react under really extreme duress And, and you say oh well yeah of course i can do a show every day for a year of course i can do that people go to work every day of the year but i think an athlete, if we look at it from this kind of, there is a, a musculature to it, a hundred meter sprinter, right? Mm. Wouldn't run the hundred meters every single day. Yeah, They would factor in a certain amount of recovery time. And, and they will build up to these one-off big events of which a few happen every year. Mm-hmm. And they have to perform to the best of their capabilities on that one day. And yeah. the rest of that time, you know, is is recovery time and is training in different ways to make sure they are optimizing their body. Now, an artist doesn't have that luxury. They're told you should be able to perform to the best of your ability night after night after night. And if that means doing 200 shows in a year, Mm. you should be able to give 200 flawless performances. Yeah, and you're completely right. You have to remember that your voice is part of your body it has all the same elements it has muscle and uh, nervous system and ligament and uh, your breathing has to be correct and if you're tired if you've stayed up late if you're dehydrated like anything a slight allergy these all have knock-on effects but if you're not well rested that's when problems start to sneak in and they can sneak in very gradually as well you think you're fine, you think you're fine, you think you're fine, and then suddenly you're not. Mm-hmm. And it's also, I, I suppose, there's an element when you're doing the same thing, and a lot of these artists uh, tour with the same show, and, and you're talking about theatre, a lot of these people will, will be doing eight shows a week of, of the exact same mm-hmm. performance for a, a really long extended period of time. There's a certain element of mental fatigue that I think is, is really hard to understand when you are going through, and a lot of these people have dance routines as well, you're putting your body through the exact same physical and yeah. mental duress every single night. Yeah, and it is kind of like doing exactly the same exercise every single day. Like you kind of get, it's actually physically quite bad for your voice as well. It's like if you went and just did 100 bicep curls or on one arm every single day. It's not particularly good for your body just mm-hmm. to have like one strong bicep, you know? Whereas like <laughs> that's what's kind of happening. If you sung the same song, just that one, mm-hmm. and you're not going to different places. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, on the subject of, of kind of touring and heavy schedules, I just wanted to have a, a look at uh, Lady Gaga, who is obviously a very vocal opponent of, of lip syncing. And I wanted to look at her 2012 tour and and what that looked like versus her tour in 2018 and versus her upcoming 2021 dates that she's got penciled, albeit they they may well be incomplete. 
So Lady Gaga starts off her, her 2012 Born This Way tour, which is, you know, towards the beginning of her career. She, she does a tour in 2008. This is her, her second one. And obviously, this is Born This Way was, was absolutely massive, wasn't it? So we've got April 27th, May the 2nd, May the 3rd, May the 5th, May the 7th, May the 10th, May the 12th, May the 13th. The list goes on. She does 30 shows-ish at a time. She's in Asia first. Moves straight on to Oceania. Here's another 25 shows. Moves into Europe. By this point, we're in August. August 14th, August 16th, August 18th, August 21st, August 23rd. This is completely, completely relentless. This goes all the way through to October the 6th. She's in Barcelona. I remember she's doing press in all those places as well. Absolutely. Then she, she manages to get uh, a whole just under three weeks off. And then we move to Latin America. And bear in mind, this is, these are all different time zones as well. Mm. And you've got to have the time of, yeah, you've got, you've got one day between each show. You've got to travel often to a completely different country in that time. And it's, it's the, the mental fatigue of that, of having to reacclimatize. And often it is different time zones and it, it's a new hotel and it's, everything is, is different each time. Um, then we're moving into Latin America and we've still got the same thing, October 30th, October 31st, November the 3rd, November the 6th. And then we're through all the way to February the 11th and, and she does a whole North American leg of the tour and she gives herself a month off. But that is unbelievable. That's crazy. She has a, a hip injury and she's actually spoken about this quite a lot mm. and had to cancel around about 20 shows, um, a lot towards the end of the tour actually with with this uh, these hip problems um and if we then look at her joanne world tour uh which comes in 2017 18 she's really drastically reformatted the way in which she's performing so she's still performing quite a lot so we got say august the first and the third and the fifth and the eighth but we have more consistent recovery time and more importantly we do 20 shows and then there's two months off uh and and then we have another 21 shows and then there is another month off. Bear in mind though, this was probably around the time that she was um, filming for A Star Is Born. It may well have, have been some of the reason, but I still also think uh, that that was probably deliberate in that she has, say, all of December, Christmas and New Year and all of that time off and then goes and does her European leg. And she's not really booking more than 20 dates at any one time. Yeah, that's good though. What does that do? I mean, in terms of that recovery time, if you have a month off, what does that allow you to do as an artist? Just relax your body and your brain. Like anything, if, as you said, if you were doing sports every day, those muscles need recovery time. But also mentally, you need that space just to decompress from the constant pressure because there is so much pressure. And actually, it's interesting that you're saying towards the start of her career, it's often the case. People at the start of their career get really, really burnt out and pushed. And they don't have the ability to say no as much, maybe because of labels. Maybe they just aren't... Um, they haven't built up the respect yet from the industry as a whole, but they maybe also just haven't built up the strength and the bravery within themselves yet to be like, no, I need this time off. And you do grow that as you get older anyway. Um, and as you say, you're eager. You want to like show that you can do this when you're younger. So I think it's really great. And I think it's really, really needed. 
And I, if she's had hip injuries, I know she has fibromyalgia as well. She does. She had to cancel, uh, yep, some of some of both tours actually for for fibromyalgia. Um, I think eleven shows of that 2018 tour were, were cancelled with fibromyalgia. Um, if we look at her 2021 dates that are upcoming, mm-hmm. we see a, a drastic difference again. So we've got July the 25th, July the 30th, August the 7th. So we've got a week off there. August the 16th, another week off, August 19th and August 27th. They this are the only six dates. And and of course, you know, she's in a position where now she has the name. She's, she's a, a fantastic artist and performer. She's built her brand and she can say exactly when she wants to perform. Yeah. You don't get that when you start. Exactly. And also... She is now probably listening to herself. She's probably just older and wiser. She knows her body. She knows her voice. She knows her mind. But she had to go through this schedule before. And so many artists don't get the choice. And I think that that's a shame that the industry doesn't support young and new artists and kind of ease them in in a way that's like not going to burn you out like it's quite amazing that people have any longevity in their careers and actually people say like you know in the 70s and 80s and stuff like that you had all these artists and they didn't have vocal problems as much Mm -hmm. even though they lived crazy lifestyles Mm -hmm. maybe that's partially down to the schedule that's now required and of younger artists Uh, it's partially down to some of the stylistic qualities like breathy singing is actually much harsher on the voice than loud Shouts and screams, for example. Um, however, these schedules, this constant upkeep, plus some of them are living those kind of crazy rock star lifestyles as well, is a massive toll on your voice. Yeah, absolutely. That wasn't allowed before. People didn't do that. People kind of listened a little bit more and said, like, artists do however many tours. They'll do, like, a couple of times a week. You know, you actually showed me a video before this of... A moment where it does look like Lady Gaga's lip syncing. Yeah, it's really interesting. I used her as an example because obviously she's been a, a very vocal opponent of lip syncing live. Um, and we even had a, a clip in her in the in your video. We, we have yeah. a clip of her of calling other artists out. And there's there's also footage of her on tour <laughs> saying, I will never lip sync. And two weeks later, she's filmed on the very same tour. There's a lot of movement. She, she completely falls over and there's no break in the vocals at all. And yeah, obviously, it sounds as if she isn't. It sounds pretty impossible. I mean, who knows? Who, who I'm certainly not, not necessarily in position to judge. But, um, but you would think if someone falls over, that is going to have some vocal effect. Mm-hmm. And whether it's, you know, I know that in some of these circumstances, you've got an artist who is singing live and their, their voice is kind of being blended into the track and it doesn't mean that uh, she was just lip syncing um and maybe it was for a specific part of a dance routine because there is a, a lot of movement going on but i i think it does prove that even a lot of the people who come out and and are opposed to it often there will be circumstances where they take the decision that their performance will suffer a certain amount if they don't lip sync mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, actually, I've noticed in recent years, she isn't as, she doesn't really speak about it anymore. She used to be like, no, 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 no. And obviously, Lady Gaga is like a pop star who's Mm anti-pop. So that was her thing. 
And I mean, she is friends with a lot of the other top pop stars who are very well known for lip syncing. I'm sure that she may have like revised her opinions yeah. a bit. Yeah, she may be a little bit softer or um, coming through her career have had to experience the circumstances where she thinks like, oh gosh, I'm going to either go out and give a bad performance or I'm going to have to lip sync. Yeah, you talked about her friends there. She's obviously, uh, she's friends with, with Ariana Grande. She's very interesting because undoubtedly Ariana Grande is a an unbelievable singer. Yeah. Some of, some of the, the sounds that she can achieve, you know, they are really, really unbelievable. However, there are some videos uh, of her where it sounds like she is, is definitely lip syncing, particularly on the harder vocal gymnastics that she's got in some of her shows. So she does a lot of whistle uh, and obviously she does some phenomenally high belt. Well, I, I said this to you the other day about gy- vocal gymnastics is literally you can relate that to being a gymnast. Like vocally, you've got to stretch, you've got to be strong. You you know, it requires so much from the voice. And those high or more extreme notes, it's harder to make them consistent. And actually her tone and the way she produces things does sound fairly consistent, but she has an image around her which is so based on perfection, whether it's how she looks, how she sounds. She is someone that I think probably feels like she doesn't have the luxury to make a mistake. Yeah, and her whole brand is is kind of based on perfection, isn't mm-hmm. it? And I think that's a lot of the direction that certainly uh, the the pop industry has gone towards this idea of perfection, and that includes tuning, and obviously the fact that we will never have a record now that is released with a flat note. In yeah, it. everything will be tuned to a certain degree, and of course, we don't want to get to the point where there is an artist that is completely inauthentic and, and can't sing anything in tune, and everything is exclusively tuned for them. But but it is a problem when we have these singers who are undoubtedly really talented, not perfect, not robots, because that is also not what we want to yeah. produce. We don't want to produce artists that that are perfection. And yet this appears to be the direction that we've really certainly, you know, in the last 20 years, mm-hmm. that's really the overwhelming direction that we've gone in. Yeah, and I think that Ariana Grande, again, going back to that thing of social media, because she's got that image of perfection, everyone's kind of waiting. Like when she does make a mistake, everyone's like, Ariana Grande, she sung, she wobbled. Oh, she's flat. Oh, ha, ha, mm-hmm. look, she is a bad singer. And, People jump on it. And the ability to to share that via social media is is a really dangerous thing. And it, it makes an artist have have a really, really difficult decision of do I go out there and risk one mistake? And if I do 50 shows in a row and I make one mistake, you can be sure that that is the one thing that will go viral on social media. Yeah, everyone's spreading the... Like, actually, this, I remember there's a little video of Ariana Grande falling off a chair. She's like, does this thing where she sings and gets on the chair and she falls off. And it went viral, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, she giggles and she's like, ha ha. And actually, she's definitely singing live because you can hear her response to like, oh. <laughs> but like, she just kind of slightly goes over her ankle. Like she doesn't even do anything massive and that's gone viral. Look at her making a mistake. Yeah, and I think it is, perfection is impossible. And however many times and through however many mediums that we get shown this image of perfection, it's up to us to kind of look behind that and and scrutinize it and understand that that is actually 
an impossibility in, well, in any facet of life. Yeah, well, it's interesting because the language that people use towards their favorite singers is literally like, this person is a god, this person is a goddess. Like, people will use the language god and goddess all the time. And if you say something like, oh, that person was slightly flat, how dare you, that person is a god. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's often and I get that a lot with reaction videos and I feel often like oh but it's not a bad like it, I'm not even they're a person. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. okay. It's not actually that bad. I'm flat all the time. Yeah. Uh, well, and and the the foundation of of being an artist is about expression. And in a way there is no perfect way to oh. express. You will never get perfection in true emotional expression. There is not a a right and a wrong and there is not a perfection. Is there? No, it's just being you. Mm-hmm. I guess what really draws me to people is the humanity within people's voices, even within perfect voices. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, Ariana Grande is a very uh, good example of someone who has, like, such a balanced voice that sounds very, you know, in quote, perfect. Mm-hmm. Or Whitney Houston or any of those big singers who are perfect, but that feels like it's still part of them and who they are as people. Yeah. Like, the, they're people who strive for perfection. Yep. And then you've got, like, rougher singers. You know, uh, actually, I, uh, I've been working on a video on Miley Cyrus. And that's a whole other story. I'm sure we'll talk about that in the future. But um, who has a rougher sound. But that comes from her and her life experiences. Um, and I love that. I love hearing the person in a voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, I want to move on a little bit and... Uh, from the rigor of touring, touch on lip syncing in big events, things like the Super Bowl, for mm. example. Uh, and and often there is a huge, huge amount of pressure again in these big events. <laughs> yes. Uh, what do you think about artists who choose, and also, is it their choice? Is it is a separate yeah. question? Uh, who choose to lip sync in these circumstances? Well, I think the Super Bowl is renowned for actually it not being the choice of the artist. If I uh, remember correctly that they at least strongly advise um however also as i say it may end up being live for the audience there but actually what comes out on the tv also we we saw a version of this didn't we when we saw the that viral clip of madonna falling over mm, yes. uh when you couldn't watch it we watched it live happen I think, yeah, uh, Eurovision, was it? Yes. Mm. And then when we watched the YouTube clip, yeah. it had been tuned. Yeah, and we watched it for uh, the, the vocal imperfection and, and suddenly the vocal imperfection Wasn't was gone. There. Yeah, and it's really interesting that that happens. And it may not be down to Madonna. It may be down to Madonna. We don't know. It may be down to the people surrounding her or her management, as I say, or the TV show. Often it's a TV show. Um... Do I think that it's okay? I I think that the pressure is so huge that really if an artist is going to go out there, I really, really feel for them. So I understand why you would do that. And I could not say if I had that amount of pressure on me yep. that I would not do the same. Yep. I think in uh, where, where I've seen big artists talk about this, it's it's generally a decision that actually seems to be taken out of their hands. So Jennifer Hudson spoke about it. I know uh, Jennifer Hudson has the most crazy good technique. Yeah, like her voice incredible. is so in control. She's absolutely incredible. But the producer, when she sung at the Super Bowl, 
basically told her, well, this is what we do. We, we lip sync. Um, the, the stakes are, are basically too high for you to get it wrong. And, and that, that is what's going to happen. Uh, also, I know you reacted to this recently. Mm. I know it's really considered uh, a beacon of America. But Whitney Houston, when she does that absolutely incredible performance at the Super Bowl of the national anthem, is lip syncing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and her, her producer... I will read a quote because I don't want to seem like it's just I've decided this. Mm -hmm. uh, her producer said she sang and the microphone was turned off. It was a technical decision partially based on the noise factor. This is standard procedure at these events. Yeah. So what you're seeing uh, actually is is obviously her performing live. And what you're hearing is a vocal that she recorded separately two yep. days before in a studio. Did she record... Oh, no, in a studio. She recorded specifically for this in a studio. And, and partly it was uh, because of, yeah, the, the noise factor. You've got a huge crowd at these events. And of course, a microphone is going to pick that up. Mm -hmm. And does that make it less valid? Because she still sung it and they kept it with minor, minor, because it's Whitney yeah. Houston imperfections. They made it sound live anyway. Well, I think a lot of these performances, they they make things sound live. Yeah. And they obviously take, yeah, it, it's, it's hard, isn't it? I, in that circumstance, you know, I, I actually think that one of the people who comes out on the worst end and, and who suffers is the artist, actually, yeah. out of all this. Because the end consumer, you know, we watch something and and that performance is without question. It, it's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. yep. I, I think if you're aware that people aren't listening to your voice, that actually... That's tough. Psychologically. Mentally. Can you, like, can you, can I make that live? And if you watch her... There's no way that she's not singing live into the mic. You know, there's, yeah. there's no way that she is she is miming. She's she's 100% giving a vocal performance. It's just not necessarily the one that we're hearing at that moment. Yeah, it's really hard. I I also want to go to um, there's a really famous viral clip of Adina Menzel. I think mm. I've shown you that when she performs outside um, in it's outside in the cold somewhere mm. in New York, and we know she is a live performer. She sings on Broadway night after night after night. But that is a high-pressure situation. It was freezing cold. Now that affects your voice in different ways. Um, and she just missed it. And she tried to cling on to it, and it did not make a nice noise. And that happens. But that went so viral. I remember everyone just sharing this clip, like, you know, almost trying to show that she's not as good as mm. she actually is. Yeah. And the fact is, with every singer, you know, with Adina Menzel, with whoever, you know, even your favorite singer, with me, certainly, with, you know, as an individual, like, you're going to be a good singer on one day and you might not be as much the next day. It's a, a shifting thing yeah. that happens because you have a body. You don't have the same instrument. Yeah. You know, I can't just pick up my um, guitar out of my case that's going to be the same instrument every single day it's like your guitar is it's got a little every now and again someone's hit it with a hammer or something <laughs> <laughs> yes yes i mean you know if we take on the subject of incredible singers if we look at beyonce mm -hmm. uh, no one is questioning that authentically whether beyonce has has a fantastic voice she's also putting her voice and, and most of these artists that we've referred to are putting their voices to real real extremes 
and it's difficult. And uh, there's obviously, again, she's a, a vocal opponent of, of lip syncing. Um, when it came to Barack Obama's inauguration, she hadn't had any chance to rehearse with the band. Um, and, and again, it's, it's just this thing of, of high stakes. And she apparently really wanted to sing live and she made a, a last minute decision that actually she was going to lip sync. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was an important occasion and, and she wanted to do the country proud. And, and basically, I, I mean, there's that pressure of, if she doesn't want a, a flat note at an inauguration to go viral yeah. and be with her for the rest of her career. Yeah, but it's interesting that you said that because she has been caught out for lip syncing, people often say Beyonce is not a good singer. People often say, so because Lady Gaga will go out and sometimes do a little bit of a flat note, people say Lady Gaga is a good singer. Now, I, I'm i not going to pit them against each other as to who's the better singer, but uh, Beyonce is a good singer. People often say Ariana Grande is a terrible singer. She's mm. not a terrible singer. Mm-hmm. But because people know that she lip syncs, yeah. that becomes a perception. So actually by lip syncing, it sometimes does hurt the artist as well. I think in a way, it that that's good, actually. What what you've just said there, the fact that, that people uh, have respect for Lady Gaga, I, I think that in a way that that is a direction as a whole and, and that's nothing against any of those, the Ariana Grande's and, and Beyonce's, and, you know, but, but I think that is maybe a direction that we could do with moving in. And that really the people who need to pay attention to this mm. are the people behind the scenes. And it, it's not the artists, it's the people who are in charge of the artist's brand and, and moving that away from the expectation of perfection. And I think as consumers and audience members, we need to be respectful of all artists, even if you don't love them. Mm-hmm. And if they do something bad or they make a bad choice vocally, uh, let them do it like you know it doesn't hurt you don't ridicule them don't send them tweets don't just leave them be they did a flat note because i think when social media perpetuates things and brings you know it 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 kind of spirals out of control on social media and it becomes so intense um that kind of social feedback and i think that the way that we relate to artists via social media could do with changing As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let me ask you a question. You go to a gig mm-hmm. and you're seeing your, your favorite artist and they've done uh, 150 shows mm-hmm. in the last... 250 days they're vocally fatigued Mm. and they have the option of a singing live uh and there is at this point a a sort of high chance that on some of the big notes in the hard songs that they have done live previously it is their voice they might get it wrong so you've got that option option a get it wrong option b uh, we're going to have a, a feed in. So you're going to lip sync the hard notes and you're going to sing the rest. Mm-hmm. Or option C, we're going to completely, we're going to drop the song down uh, a couple of keys, a couple of tones, um, and, and we're going to make it easier. Um, I would like option D, which is um, if a person has got to the stage where they're doing that many shows and they should, I think shows ideally, but this is a very singing teacher thing to do, I'd say cancel the show. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if that's not an option, I would say put it down. Yeah. That would be my instinct. I think I prefer to hear something where they feel comfortable and they can enjoy singing it. Yeah. Um, because if you're singing something and your voice isn't up to scratch and you can't hit those high notes, you're just going to feel terrible and you're not going to give a great performance. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to feel like, oh gosh, and you're going to be scared the whole performance. Yeah. So I'd rather just hear them sing it lower in a key that their voice is comfortable in. But if they can't sing the high notes, then it probably means they need vocal rest and they need a day off. And it, even if it's because they got drunk the night before. I don't really care. I just think that they need to look after their voice the next day. However, I also understand that that's not a possibility. And artists, I think artists are pretty good at this nowadays, most of the time. But um, artists need to be aware of looking after their voices. I think that's becoming more and more, artists are becoming more and more aware because of, you know, vocal tuition becoming more a part of... um, music as a whole so um and there has been some high profile cases of people having problems with like nodules and um different problems with their vocal cords but i think that the industry needs to be able to stop thinking of artists as a kind of cog in the works that makes them more money and as a person with flaws and the audience needs to think of that as well and you know you might have to be aware that you might have to buy a ticket and they might cancel it and you might have to change day I think I would actually personally prefer that. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Um, I think with the limited amount of time that an artist has and often the huge fan bases that these people command, mm-hmm. it is natural on one hand to try and maximize that revenue, but, but also, I mean, for, for the fans, maximize the, the most amount of fans that can go and see that artist and and often the amount of time that you have to schedule a tour makes that uh, tricky and means that you are going to have to condense dates to a certain point what do you think um i suppose it depends on each person but what do you think is a sort of acceptable workload for an artist well first of all the way the society is set up i mean it's a trap that we all fall into. I've fallen into it with teaching, you know that. Like doing, trying to fill up my entire schedule because I can. Mm. Um, 
and wanting to see as many people as possible and being completely burnt out. And I know that not from gigs, but from teaching. Yeah. And actually any job you do, you need to be able to give yourself the time, otherwise you can't do your job as well. Yeah, and at and some point, the quality suffers. Yeah, and I, I suppose obviously that comes from your point of view in uh, wanting to help as many people oh. as possible. And you had a lot of people asking for for these slots and you were saying okay i can make time here i can make time here i can make time here but actually the overall quality of the output has to suffer in the end with mm -hmm. the gradual fatigue that builds and, and no one is superhuman you get to the point where you get to a day and you're like i don't want to do this and that's not what you want before a job that you love and as soon as you give yourself a rest you're back to usual it's fine but I think that's that mental fatigue that you also get that we talked about earlier. In terms of how much singers should be singing, it depends on that singer, on their ability to um, mentally deal with it and their ability to physically deal with it and the difficulty of the pieces that they're performing. Um, you know, I again, in that video about Miley Cyrus, I said she sings like a boxer, not like a golf player. Like if you're, if you're playing golf, you might be able to do a little more. But if you're playing, I don't know, maybe I'm poo-pooing golf players. You have I don't hundreds know. of golf fans <laughs> like, to, oh, really hard. saying to you how how physically demanding and yeah. mentally demanding a sport golf is. Yeah. Um, what It's so hard as an artist, though. Whose responsibility is it to to call it? Because uh, as an artist and as someone who has, has toured not as a singer, but, but as an actor and in a show, it's really, really difficult to get to a point when it's the thing that you love doing. It's really hard uh, to say, you know what, actually, I'm going to call it, um, I, I can't do this show. I think it needs to be the structure. I think it needs to be the systems in place. I think it is really hard as an artist. And I think that the the labels and, and the management, the management are, you know, obviously there are really lovely managers out there, but it has been renowned throughout the music industry of bad managers who have taken money that they shouldn't have or who do push people past that. And Obviously, that's maybe a very small but very um, horrible group. Um, so I think that those people, but then also the management are trying to keep the TV shows happy. And, you know, it's very hard. Everyone's trying to keep each other happy. But the system needs to start treating people like people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have particular advice on on how we do that? On how we restructure because, of course, from, from a manager's mm. point of view, they're going to be an intermediary between uh, the, the artist um, and all these people who are trying to maximise the revenue that that artist can generate and maximise the exposure that that artist has. And, of course, uh, as a, as a knock-on effect from that, the artist will become more famous and also you know, financially better off. There is a financial mm. benefit to this as well, often. Where do we start? I guess we have to think that, I think it's a problem with our entire world. It's not just the music industry, but the music industry um, is kind of the pinnacle of it. it. It reflects our culture to its most extreme. So money isn't always the most important thing because the person has to, is only alive right now, you only got the money in the future, and often the money doesn't even actually, go, it gets spread so thin to so many people. 
um, I think if you're an artist, do find a good manager who you can talk to and keep in the loop about how you're feeling emotionally and physically. Um, if someone is pushing you in ways that you don't want to be, then maybe they're not the right one for you. Yeah. Um, I know it's really hard. You know, we've both done shows where the schedule has been really difficult. And I certainly, when I was younger, I think I might be different now if I went back into something and, you know, I'd probably end up being called a troublemaker. Um, but I, I think that you, it's really difficult to stand up against difficult schedules. Um, I remember actually a show that I did, and I'm not going to mention who, but um, weren't paying the correct rate. And there was luckily an older cast member who was part of an actors' union who sorted it all out. Um, so, you know, it can be done respectfully if you just talk to people. You have to be aware that people will just try and make the most money out of you, and if you don't tell them that you cannot do something, then they will keep on asking and keep on asking. And sometimes, unfortunately, it has to be the artist that says, no, it's actually going too far. My eye, I don't know how there's going to be a shift. But I wish the people asking would um, would do so in a more kind way. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to now bring us on to, I think, the epitome of management artist exploitation. Um, I'm going to talk about Millie Vanilli. Okay. I'm going to just take you through a, a timeline because we didn't look uh, as in-depth at this for the video. So I think a lot of this you you might not necessarily be fully aware of. So the, the producer, I'm actually going to name him, and I'm going to call him out right now, uh, is, is Frank Farian. There were other people alongside him, but I, I think that he is the main component here. So Millie Vanilli, for those of you who, who don't know, uh, famously lip-synced. They were uh, a couple of, of really young guys who were, they met when they were 19 and 22, um, and, and they got signed by Frank Farian. Um, when they were then 21 and, and 24. They were uh, performing in Munich and Frank approached them and, and he basically gave them uh, a deal. He said, you know, I, I've, I've seen you sing, I've seen you dance, I want to sign you. What he didn't say is that actually they were going to be the face of a project and, and not the voices behind it. So he had mm. a guy called John Davis and actually others already recording this project when he approached them. Uh, and actually, the, the funny thing is, John Davis uh, wasn't even aware, apparently, that he wasn't going to be the face of this project. So right. he was recording the vocals for something, thinking that he was going to be the artist. Uh, and then he was told, well, actually, no, you're not going to you're not going to perform <gasps> it. That That's as far as this goes. That's so heartbreaking. Absolutely. So uh, this is Frank Farian for you, you see. So he signs Fab and Rob are their names. Um, and and gives them a deal that they later find out was not for one song or one album, but for three albums. Mm -hmm. And what he does is he pays them an advance. They are completely broke. They're artists performing in Munich. And he gives them an advance to produce three albums. Mm -hmm. Now, they don't have any other management. They don't have anyone else to go to. And they sign this deal without really scrutinizing it. They are then told, guess what? It's not going to be your voice on the record. Mm -hmm. uh, now, initially, they say, well, okay, we're out. And they say, okay, well, that's no problem. All you have to do is give us the money back that we paid you for the three albums. 
-hmm. They've already burnt through huge amounts of it. You know, they've started living the lifestyle of of people who are, you know, on the way up. They're on the way to fame and 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 they were reckless with their money, mm -hmm. admittedly. They can't pay it back. What then happens next is actually their their songs are massive hits. They start fully getting on the fame train. Mm. Um, they have a, a multi-platinum winning song, Girl, You Know It's True. It's they're, they're huge. They start getting nominated for awards. And this is where Frank Farin starts getting a little bit nervous because, of course, none of this is their voices. It comes to a head when they win a Grammy. Oh, wow. For best newcomer. And of course, they have to do a certain amount of press and a certain amount of interviews. Yes. And these are guys, you know, they're singing basically with with a, an ideal American accent. And actually, in reality, <laughs> they're from Paris uh, and, and Germany. They've got really strong accents, both mm -hmm. of them. And they sound nothing like the voice on the records, really. So they have to start doing this press. And basically, there is footage of gigs, and you can look it up. They're, they're exposed. There's there's one really bizarre performance where the track glitches, and it starts repeating one line, and it does it 15 Aww. times. Uh, and, and Rob freaks out, and he runs off stage. Yeah. He just leaves the show. And he's told, get back out, they get back out, they carry on. Now, there are apparently multiple times where they tried to leave this, and they were basically told, well, look, we've, we've got you, know, you know, <laughs> We've paid you this amount of money. Um, and I think the other aspect is they really start enjoying the lifestyle. They, yeah. they love the fame. Um, it, it's basically been handed to them on a plate. And crucially, they've actually signed an NDA now. They've signed a confidentiality agreement right. to, to never come out and say we're lip syncing. To never come out and say it's not us. Again, this is Frank Farian. He has given them this contract. You know, yeah. They've signed this confidentiality agreement. So they're starting to get exposed after this Grammy win and there, there are rumors and, and clips flying around and they say, you know what, Frank, we're out, we're done. And he says, okay, no worries. What he does the next day is fly back to New York and he outs them. Oh. How, I mean, this is just, oh, I, I, I couldn't believe it. He does the interview in which he says, you know what, guys, they didn't sing on any of the records. At this point, they're being completely, they're being dragged through the mud. You know, Rob later describes it as, as being trapped in a, in a golden prison, uh, which I think is, is really a Poetic. powerful <laughs> way of describing it. But their lives are destroyed. And, and I think that they were in it for different reasons at this point. So, so Fab really loved music. He really wanted to bounce back and say, well, you know what? I am a singer. I'm going to sing. Like I'm free of this now. Mm -hmm. I, I want to sing. Whereas Rob, he was really living on the fame side of things. And, and mentally, it seems to have hit him really, really hard. Now, the next part I find really, really disgusting. Frank Farian decides to release an album, which he's been working on with the guys. He releases it still, but he calls it The Moment of Truth. And the artist, he publishes The Real Millie Vanilli and credits John Davis and the other singers on it. Uh -huh. Can you imagine how Fab and Rob must have felt? They've been working on these songs. They've been working on the arrangements of these songs. Yeah. They have them released anyway. Yeah. This is, by the way, just a disgusting money grab. Oh, I'm going to harness, you know, I've outed them. And guess what? Now I'm going to call the album The Moment of Truth. 
just to drag them yeah. through the mud a little bit more. You know, these guys, they were 22 and 24 years old yeah, they're... when they were signed. Completely taken advantage of. At this point, they're, they're pretty much left to rot. They end up signing with a new label and calling themselves uh, Fab and Rob. That label can't afford to print the records. They, they sell 2,000 records and they go bust. Um, Rob's mental health hugely deteriorates. He, he threatens suicide multiple times. He's finding it hard to cope. He actually ends up in, in prison. Um, you know, there's, there's multiple cases actually of, of him. He's heavily, heavily addicted to drugs. He, he ends up in prison. And in 1996, he is given a six-month arrest for assault. So we're quite some time on by this point. Now, he's bailed after three months. Guess who bails him out? Mm, What? Frank Farian. Back on the scene, bails him out after three months and pays for him to go for six months in rehab. By the way, this is his 11th rehab for drug addiction. As as Frank paid for all of them frank uh, that i don't know actually but but certainly for this he pays for like one six month round of rehab okay. and then says you know what guys it would be a fantastic idea to work on another album and and this i think really epitomizes the, the idea that this guy who's been through 11 rehabs and, and you've basically you've got him to sign this confidentiality agreement in order to to destroy his life you've given him an advance so that you hold everything over him and then you say you know what i'm going to bail you out they even refer to him you can watch some interviews of him them referring to him uh, as a father figure um and and they start working on an album called back in attack uh, which is, you know, it's described as, oh, it's their big comeback album. They're really going to sing on it, blah, blah, blah. They start doing all the promo for it. Uh, and just before it's released, yeah, Rob kills himself. Or, I mean, I should be clear, Rob dies. He overdoses on prescription pills. So, so that never happens. I suppose at this point you can, you can debate whether what his motives were behind it. He didn't, as far as I know, leave a note or anything um but i think just the mental trauma that he was put through and clearly being a fairly impressionable young man and repeatedly put through these circumstances to exacerbate his mental health and then you bring him back into that world again after all these years that was never going to end well was it no i mean i feel like this epitomizes the worst side of the music industry and it kind of shows I guess what I have wanted the video to be about and what I was trying to say is that a lot of it has to be we need to be kinder to the artists because a lot of that although obviously it was this manager it was Frank's fault (laughs) or the way he treated him was absolutely terrible but the constant ridicule from the media, from people, and that was even before massive social media. And we've seen artists who can't deal with that. We need to be kinder to the artists and we need to look at how the system is working. People often say the music industry is a broken industry. Mm. And this shows you why. Yeah, and I think that the faceless money that is driving a huge amount of these decisions There's no question to me that that these two were were purely victims of the system 
And I think they were really, really treated appallingly and purely extorted. And the fact mm -hmm. that Frank decided to to release, you know, the real Millie Vanilli and try and rebrand as, oh, well, these guys were the, really the voices behind it. He published that album and they were gone by 1992. Yeah. So they didn't stick around. I, I, I'm guessing because they didn't make enough money. If they'd made huge amounts of money, I don't think he'd have gone back and, and bailed, you know, call me cynical. I don't think he's going back to bail Rob out of prison mm -hmm. and and try and work on back in attack and yeah. and, and all of that. I, I, you know, I think that he's just pursuing purely financial gain. Yeah, of course. I mean, this is an important discussion that needs to happen a lot. And I think someone was saying to me the other day about I really respect different artists who have left their record labels to be able to perform with their own creative ideas and um, perform at the rate that they want to. And yes, I, I think that that is a good thing. But I also think that we need to understand what is psychologically happening with the people who can't. Um, and I mean, there's circumstances where they're doing exactly what they want to do, of course, but there are lots of circumstances where people aren't. And I think the people that get the most ridiculed um, in the industry are often the people who are the most exploited, the people who are making that music that we all go, ha ha ha, look what, they're not really even doing anything. Mm. How yeah. did they get there? Someone's trying to make money out of them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, when you then have the TV sketches mm -hmm. ridiculing Millie Vanilli, you don't have the TV sketches ridiculing Frank Farian. But you he have... is the person that exactly. we need to talk about, yeah. But, but he's the person who masterminded this, and, and he's the person who should be ridiculed, and he's the person who shouldn't have a career. Mm, and he's the person that should be called out and hasn't has got off scot-free, and no one's being like, ha, 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 you're a terrible person. I think there's a... We see it in not just the music industry, but, but I think, you know, you have to find a way to give some of the power back to the artist to be able to actually have some creative integrity. If we go back to this word authenticity, we're not going to get that for as long as these people are driving. And when people are, you know, artists are so keen to show their passion and to show their art, of course, and they're meant to be. That's part of being an artist but when you really really want that that makes you easier to exploit and I am not saying the artist shouldn't have that they absolutely need that to be an artist but I feel like that drive to want to make art is is what makes people vulnerable yeah. and then when you get some not so nice people who just want to make money and if someone's a little naive if someone's younger if you're just starting out, no matter what age, you don't have any power when you first start out. Mm. It's not until you gain enough fans. Actually, this is one thing that I kind of love about YouTube. There's many people making their own music careers without having to go to management, without having to go to labels. And I think that this is, and they're doing that on purpose because, and you know, they have maybe Patreon and things like that. And they've built up their own audience and maybe they're not as big as Ariana Grande but they have made a career that they can be authentic and honest and themselves um, via whatever platform, whether it be YouTube or even things like TikTok, you know, if they want to. One of the comments that I really enjoyed underneath the video, actually, uh, was someone just left a, a Beethoven quote, uh, which goes, to play a wrong note is insignificant, to play without passion 
is inexcusable. Mm, I like it. That should be what we're valuing yeah. in our artists. And that would get round a huge amount of the mental turmoil around these decisions to Lipsic. Mm. At the moment, I have to say that I don't particularly disagree or blame these artists for lip syncing. Because although I would much rather have that authentic, real performance personally, I think the amount of ridicule that you invite yourself into isn't necessarily worth it. And the same people lambasting people for lip syncing are the same ones who would be jumping on every single flat note. And as we talked about sharing it on social media and it goes viral. Mm. And we have to learn that these people aren't superhuman. These people aren't robots. That's what makes them artists and to appreciate them. Mm. Yeah. Well, it is a contentious subject, but I think it's a lot deeper than people perceive it as. People perceive it as, you know, they're either trying to scam us or they're not. And there are so many layers to why, to the history. I mean, we haven't even talked about the history of racial inequality and the amount of times that that's been a reason for um, lip syncing. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of lip sync is to do with the pressures, the expectations, but also the exploitation in the industry. And we need to fix it. But I don't know how to. I wish <laughs> I did. Well, I think the first stage is just by accepting no one is perfect. We don't want you to be perfect. Uh, and we want you to have your own creative agency because we value that creativity mm. if we and have an passion more than perfection. Mm. And if we as an audience say that enough and we reward people both financially and just with kind words yeah. by that, then record labels have to respond to that. If we buy the records that are authentic and people are allowed to have their creative agency on, then that's where the record labels will go towards. Yeah, and there's so many examples of, of people taking power uh, in, in different ways. And I, I think if an artist that you like and appreciate does get dropped or just decide to leave their label, you know, stick with them. Stick with them through the ne next project. You might have to wait a little bit of time, but when that comes around... Give them the absolute support because trust that, that they've gone through this decision. Either they've made it or it's been forced upon them. Um, but it's going to end up with them having more creative control and give them the support that they deserve for that. And you'll get something back in return because you'll have future records where they're able to give you everything that they wanted to but they couldn't when they were with that label. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Beth, I think that probably brings us to the end of another episode of In Focus. And next time we're going to be looking at my video, The Truth About Bagpipes. Bagpipes aren't Scottish. And... Uh, we, truth bomb. A truth bomb. And I wanted to look a little bit more in depth into the cultural history of music as a whole in this one. So we'll chat a little bit further around Scottish music and all music look forward to it all right thank you for listening don't forget to subscribe rate and review us on your podcast app of choice it will help us get this podcast out to more people and if you want to support the podcast uh, you can go to patreon.com slash beth rules yes thank you all for listening 
Bye. Speak in the next one. Bye. <laughs>